First uh, Corinthians chapter four. We're just reading through this, and we're taking it verse by verse, and and so in chapter four, and we're going to take the first eight verses. So listen to what it says in in chapter four, starting with verse one. Here's what Paul says. He said, "Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required that a steward that one be found faithful." But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human courts. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is of the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and to reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren... I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn to us not to think beyond what is written and none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did not, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as you have not received it? You are already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for the privilege. And Lord, I, I, I feel for those that are not here. And I feel, Father, for those that uh, seem to uh, neglect, uh, who come to church out of convenience, and I pray, Father, for them. I lift them up to you. And, Lord, uh, with times that are heading in, we're heading into those tough times, I believe, with all my heart, in which our faith and everything that we believe in is going to be tried. And I believe, Father, if we don't learn how to stand in the day and today, that we will not stand tomorrow. So be with us, Father, I pray. So I pray simply, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, our redemption, you're everything. And I ask this all, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, this is the final chapter in which Paul is dealing with the divisions within the church and the party spirit which was in the church at Corinth. If you remember, Paul, was a, he was living in Ephesus at this time. He'd been there almost three and a half years. He'd spent a year and a half in Corinth. And when he was in Corinth, he had... In this, and, and one, one of the leaders in Corinth had written him a letter and told him that there were, that there were divisions within the church. Some people were saying they were, that they were with Paul. Other people said they were with Apollos. Some people said they were Cyphus or Peter. Some people said, well, we just need Jesus. We don't need leadership. But it was splitting the church, and it was causing division in the church. And so as a result of that, this is the final chapter that Paul deals with the divisions within the church. And, he, and, and that party spirit that was in there. In verse 1, he says this. He says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. The truth is, and here it is, that we all, every person, every person here are ministers of Christ. And every decision that we make. Every decision we make, is we're responsible to God beforehand. I know that people sometimes get fed up with things, and some people, you know, I, I, and, and in the church, and, and some things happen, and some people don't like this, and they don't like that, or they get their feelings hurt, or whatever. 
But let me tell you something. You answer to God for those things, not to me, nor do you answer this church. And you may go on from this church and go to another church. But even if you do that, you're still going to answer to God. The Bible says that God added to the church daily as such will be saved. So I believe every person that's here is here because God sent you here. I've had people come in and they, they've told me simply that they felt like the first day they came in the door, they felt like they were home. And other people I've had come and say, well, we came to your church several times, but we just feel like we're, the Lord lead, led us into another place. And that's fine. I, I agree with that. But after you've been here a while, I really feel like you ought to understand that you're here because God sent you, and you're to stay here because of God sent you. Um, the truth is that we're all ministers of Christ. Every believer is a minister of Christ. You and I both, according to the Word of God, are ministers of Jesus Christ. I once heard old Vernon J. McGee tell about living close to his church was an alcoholic, and he was a real sot, and he, he lived with his mother. He asked if Dr. McGee, and she came to him and said, Dr. McGee, would you talk to my son about his drinking? One day he saw him staggering down the street, and he detoured him into his office. He said, I sat down with him, and I told him what a sorry fellow he was, and he agreed with every bit of it until I told him that do you realize that you're a preacher the guy looked at him stood up and said don't you call me that I'll hit you Dr. McGee said the fellow didn't mind being called a drunk but surely didn't want to be called a preacher well but the truth is that we're all preachers and we preach some message with our lives and you and I are saying something to the world to those around us by the life that we live and notice in verse 1, the word stewards, it says stewards. And I, it says, let a man so be considered as a servant of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now the word stewards, a stewards owned nothing. He was a slave who managed his master's wealth. And the Greek word for steward is the word doulos, which means what doulos means, it means a bonded slave. Many translations, and in, in, in your Bibles, it will use that in those same thing, and it will use it as being a servant. And I think that really has harmed us a little bit that we don't understand what we're what we're doing. That we we that Christ is our is uh, that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. That Christ is a leader. That everything we do is supposed to be led by led by Jesus. But a, a doulos is a bonded slave. And, and I think when we translate as servant, many times we think, okay, what's a servant? Well, he, he, he works from 8 to 5. He's, he's got, he gets two weeks vacation. He gets benefits. All. But a bonded slave, was, that was not it. A bonded slave got up when his master told him to get up. He, he quit working when his master told him to quit working. And everything, his life was not his own. Uh, the, he was not the one that was in control to his life. And I'm telling you, since we gave our heart to Jesus, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also says in Philippians, he says, uh, For me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. But when he says for me to live is Christ, what's he saying? He's saying Christ is my life. Christ is everything in my life. A great example of this was Eliezer in Genesis 24, the steward of Abraham who, 
who, who went to get a bride for Isaac. And if you remember Eliezer, he prayed before he went and he told him simply, he said, Lord said, uh, you show me which woman. He said, I don't know who, because you're a bride for Isaac. He said, I don't know what woman would be best for him. And so he prayed. He said, the woman who comes to give me water at the well, but also not only gives me water at the well, but he will, she will offer water to my, to my camels. That's the one. That's the one that you, you show me. And so all of a sudden, Rebecca comes, and when she does, she comes and she offers him a drink, and then she, she goes ahead and starts watering all his camels. And believe me, camels drink a lot of water. That was quite a thing that she did. And so he found out. But, uh, but Eliezer handled Abraham's wealth and did his bidding all through it. A pastor or a minister who is a steward and the word minister is literally the slave who rose in the lowest level of the boat. You ever seen one of those Roman movies where they got all these guys down there and they're all rowing. They got two rows of them on both sides of the boat. The, the, the steward was, was really, it was, it was a guy on the lowest level or the minister was a slave who rose on the lowest level of the boat. A steward's responsibility is to be faithful because verse 2, what does it say to us? Moreover, it's required that a steward want to be found to be, uh, uh, to, to be faithful. Uh, and, and so he is to be faithful to the master. And the pastor's responsibility is to be faithful to teach the things of the word of the Lord. Especially those truths that relate to the mystery of the church. It's going to talk about in a minute. And a steward will be judged by his faithfulness. Now, notice also the word mystery in verse 1 because it says a man is so considered as a servant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The Apostle Paul used many times in his writings that the church age or the church was a mystery that was not revealed in the New Testament. You don't see the things of the church until later on. And the mystery are those things which are not being revealed before but now being made known. Like, for instance, the rapture. We feel like we're closer to that. Well, the, the, the rapture was a mystery. It's, it's being revealed to us. Mysteries cannot be under, understood by the natural man because second, four, uh, Corinthians 2.14 says, Only the Spirit of God can take the things of Christ and show them to us because the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. The mystery here is actually the gospel, the Word of God. When the Bible over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter is chapter 3, when he tells us about the veil, the, uh, he said, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is, ta is taken away in Christ. What is it that they did not see? What was it that the, in the Old Testament they didn't understand? They didn't understand what the Bible says in Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you is, is the thing. That's what they didn't see. They saw the law. But they didn't understand what God was going to do. He was going to give us a new heart. He was going to take Jesus and put him on the inside of us through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that our sins would be paid for by Christ on the cross. They didn't see Christ in you is the hope of glory. And When God looks at you, what's his hope for you? Is his hope for you you will do better? That you'll do the things. Well, all those things are good things, but that's not his hope for you. His hope for you is that you will come to the place that you realize to allow Jesus to have your whole life. And that's what Paul was saying in Galatians 
I no longer, it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And since we're stewards of the mystery of God, we're to dispense those mysteries. In Matthew 13, 52, and listen to this. This is a good thing, and this is what we're supposed to do. He says this. He said, Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed into the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old and you're continually bringing out things and new things and old things and things that mean that mean a whole lot in in from the word of God that's what a steward of the mysteries of the word God should be doing bringing forth out of the word of God things new and old and you know and and how do you do that do you preach a sermon to people that you work with or something like no you don't do that but you look for those opportunities you you look for those times that you can literally Look, and, and when you good to interject those things in, when people say, well, I, you know, I'm doing, having this problem or whatever. Oh, I don't know what to do here. And, and you can just in there and say, well, let me tell you what I do, and, and here's what it is. You know, I had somebody come to me yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think it was. And, and, and they said, you know, Lee, I keep waiting for this feeling to happen inside me. I keep waiting for uh, me to come to a place that, I really know and feel. And, and I think there was a time in my life I did the very same thing. And one of the verses that I think I was looking for in that was what it says over in Romans 8 when it says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're his. And I kept waiting. I, I, was, I expected and kept waiting for a, one of those, one of those uh, um, Damascus types of feelings where God knocks you off the horse and he blinds you and you know, the whole thing. And and and. And, and, and what I've come to realize that what he was saying to us is that when I pray and I seek the Lord's face, the Holy Spirit comes alongside me and he supports me in my prayers. And he makes my prayers where that they, they fit into what God wants. He helps me to come to the place where I know what the will of God is. So that's what the steward of a mystery of the word of God should be doing, bringing forth the word of God, things new and old. And, and so when it says that a steward is required to be faithful. Notice it does not say that a steward is required, and I believe I'm talking to everybody in here, required to be eloquent. It's not required to have many gifts, only that he is to be faithful. That's what it says. I believe there will be many someday who will be rewarded, not because they did some great thing or had some great gift, but be rewarded simply because they were faithful. They were faithful. You could depend on them. And you knew where they stood. May I ask you this in, in, in church attendance? Is your church attendance so consistent that if you missed one service that people would be calling to see where you were? To say, are you okay? Because you'd been so regular in the past and, and you'd had such a habit of being there every time the doors were open that when you're not there that people are looking for you. Would they do that? Or would it be something that where that you're so missed so much that people would look and just simply say, well, you know, he's not here. They're just not here. That's how they do it. Now, look at verses 3 and 4, because verses 3 and 4, he says, but with me, he says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by the human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4, for I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, Paul, here's what Paul's doing. He presents three types of judgments or three types of courts. The first one is the lower court. And what is it? It is the court of public opinion. 
That's what it is. That's the reason he says here, he says in, in verse 3, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Verse 3, he says that, he says that a small thing. I, 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 in other words, he said, I don't live my life by what other people think. That's what he's saying. J.B. Phillips interprets this this way. He says, but as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. And notice in verse 3, he uses the word in the human courts. He said, I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. You know, uh, remember that they were comparing Paul and Apollos and Peter and other people. They were comparing them. And even talking about the, they were even at the place where they were talking about the appearance of Paul. See, I really believe that the Apostle Paul would have a hard time in the day and time in which we live in. Because, and, I, and I think many times that the, the, what's happening is that many, so many times that, it, that when people come in here to preach or other things, what do we do? We look at the messenger rather than the message. And a, a great teacher that opens up and brings the new things and the old things out of the Word of God those people many times are who? Those people are the messenger, the messenger that you really need to hear. And they've got something, they're bringing a message that you need to hear. But many times we look at the message, messenger, rather than message. Uh, you know, he said, I don't live my life by what others think. And notice that he uses that word human course. Remember that they were comparing Paul and Paul's. And even talking about, they're in talking about the appearance of Paul. Listen to what it says. It says he says this over in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 7 and 12. He says, do, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he's Christ, let him again consider this in himself. That just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Go to verse 8. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, verse 9, lest I seem to terrify you by my letters, because he wrote some pretty harsh letters. Remember, he wrote a letter, and once he, he wrote a letter, and he had sent Titus down there to check on things, and Titus had not returned in 2 Corinthians. He's really scared to death that Titus went down there, and they sort of put the moves on him and beat him up or something, you know, or maybe even killed him because of it. He said, and, and then they said this, he says, For they say, for his letters they say are weighty and powerful, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech contemptible. Paul's a little short guy. He's bald-headed. And as a result, there's nothing wrong with that. But by the same token, you know, gospel heights is 5'8". I'll just tell you that right now. So, uh, so anyway, so he said, let such a person who's doing this judging consider this, that what we are in the word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we're present. And, and he's saying, you think my letters are hot, wait till I get in there and I'm going to show you what hot is. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who command themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are, are, are not wise. What an unwise thing it is when we start comparing ourselves to other people. The older you get, you finally get to the place that you just let all that stuff go. And what other people can do, that's one thing. And that's great. And I, I enjoy, I, I've heard, I've, been, I've sat under some, 
I've sat under John MacArthur in person. I've sat under Stanley. Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of preachers that I've I've heard. D. James Kennedy. I've sat under his preaching. Um, and so a lot of these, you know, I've heard sit under Jeremiah and gosh, I don't know how many others that they're out there. But you know, you it's the word that's supposed to be, and that's what I hope that we do. The, but the Apostle Paul was also human. And there were times that he was hurt by the actions of others. If you get in this job and you care about people, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be hurt. There's just no way around it. You're going to get hurt. And you can, you can have a hide like a rhinoceros and say it ain't going to happen, but it will. It'll hurt. I, I, I once heard a pastor who had gone down to, I think it was Haiti, when they had that earthquake down there. And he said there's four or five of us went down there to work and to do the things that we needed to do in, in Hades. And he said that it was unbelievable. The stench and the smell of death was everywhere. Raw sewage running down the streets. Buildings on top. They were finding more dead people all the time. He said, we were actually the only place for us to be able to stay. They took some of those metal boxes, those crates, and that's what we were staying in. And they said, I cut a hole in it to put an air conditioner in it to try to have something. But he said, I did have internet. And he said, one day I, I come in, and he said, I'm hot, I'm sweaty. He said, I'm tired, I'm worn out. I am just literally uh, worn out. And, and says, I sat down and I thought, well, okay, I'll check back home and check on my emails. He said, I, I, I pulled up my emails and there were some people on there that's, that told me simply that they were going to leave our church because they didn't like the music. He said, I looked out the door and I saw the devastation that was out there, the death and the carnage that was happening. And they didn't like the music in the church and they were going to leave because of the music. Uh, and I think that's that's the thing where America is, you know, uh, that we've gotten so spoiled, rotten, you know, that we don't understand what it's like. So, so Paul deals with these things. And the Apostle Paul, he was human, and there were times that he got hurt by the action of others. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. And, and here's, what it, here's what it says. He says, at my first defense... He says this, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that my message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You gotta, sometimes the Lord puts you in positions and places that your dependence has to be totally upon him, just absolutely on him. And sometimes the only thing you've got to go on is the fact of what his word said. And, and, and that's the thing I think we've got to come to a place. And I, and I still go back to that story, that, that sermon I preached on Jesus in the boat and he's asleep. And, 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 the, uh, and the disciples wake him up because they're about to drown. You know, they, they say, don't, Lord, don't you care? And he's in there, and when he does that, he wakes up and he stands up in the boat and he says, peace be still, and the waves cease and the wind quits, and it's just absolute total calm. And then he looks at them and he says, oh, ye of little faith. And he lets them have it. 
Now, you've got to understand something. These are men that were fishermen. They'd fished all their life. They knew what it was like to be out on that, the late Sea of Galilee. They knew what it was like to have storms come up. But was, Jesus, was Jesus correcting them because of their, their, they were afraid? No. Had nothing to do with that. Why was he correcting them? He's correcting them because he said, if you read it in Mark in verse 35 of that chapter, it says this, come let us go to the other side. And that's the thing I think about. What, 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 is, what is it God calling you to to go to the other side? That he wants you to depend upon what his word says. Maybe, maybe other people are, you know, you're not going to have a lot of confidence. You're not going to have a lot of help or, or people to help you to go to the other side. And the only thing you've got to depend upon is what? His word. So Paul was not being callous or being contentious in his opinion of others, but these people were not affecting his opinion and expression of those around him. And look what he said. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 and 13, he said in this present hour, he said in this time, when when he got this letter, he said in this present hour, we both hunger and we thirst and we're poorly clothed and beaten and homeless and we labor and working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat, we have been made as the filth filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. That's what he says. And so he was sensitive to others, but... They were, not steering, they were not the steering wheel of his life. If you really stand up for Jesus and you, and you do what he asks you to do, there are going to be people that are going to find fault no matter what happens. And you just got to look to the Lord all the time, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You got to know that God's called you to that. And if he's called you to that, you got to keep on keeping on. This is a great lesson for America at this time. With Facebook and Twitter and public opinion, and we can't make a decision. Washington, D.C. cannot make a decision unless they run a poll. Unless they find out what everybody else said and who knows correcting the polls and everything else of this. And so, and so we worry about if we got a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or whatever it is on Facebook or all the other things that's happening. And when the truth of the matter is, we just need to go on and do what the Lord shows us what we need to do. And so this is a great lesson for us. I once read that fame is a vapor. So if you're getting a lot of thumbs down, that's a good thing. So Paul says to me, it's a very little thing that what you think about me, I don't, I don't worry about. Now he, goes, now he goes to the second court or the second judgment, and he says in verse 4, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So the first is the, is the court of public opinion. What's the second court? It's his conscience. Now you've got to remember something, that your conscience is tied into your flesh. And so many times you really can't count on your conscience necessarily. Uh, sometimes it's good, you know, but it's, it's in the, what we got to do is really count on what the Word says. And so, the, the, you know, he says, I know nothing among myself. The Corinthians were evaluating different servants of God, and they're comparing one with another and thinking themselves to be very spiritual in what they were doing. A true servant of God is a steward of God's worth, and his only concern is pleasing his Lord not his. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. So he, he's, he, he's, he says this. He says, uh, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, two, two. Did I have it up? Okay. For I determined, listen to what Paul said. This is right at the first. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, he said, I didn't come to try to get you to do this and, you know, anything else, but I, I've just come to determine to know Christ and Him crucified among you. I just want to know Jesus among you. That's it. And then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, listen to what it says, 5, 9, 10. He says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. To him, who God the Father uh, is what he says. So Paul in the second court is talking about his conscience. The question is, is the conscience a safeguard and an accurate guide? Sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. When an Israelite touched a dead body, he could go to the priest and, and remember what all this big controversy they had in the last few, uh, uh, this last year or so about a red heifer? And they said that what was holding them back from building the temple was a red heifer. And now they got five of them, supposedly. And that red heifer, once that red heifer is slaughtered and they take his, uh, they take his bones and everything else and they, they burn it and they, start, and they put it in the ashes and then those ashes can be last for a good while. And this was the cleansing for the priest in the temple. This is why they haven't had the temple. They haven't had a red heifer, you know. Of course, we know, we know why they don't have the temple because in, what, what, when Jesus died in 33 A.D., he was the Messiah. 70 A.D., uh, when the temple was burnt, well, they haven't had a sacrifice for it. And I've, I've actually heard Jewish priests that's been asked before, okay, how do you forgive sins? Well, we just ask, well, that's not what your word says. Your book says you've got to offer a living, you've got to offer an animal sacrifice to have your sins forgiven. But see, what we know, we know Jesus came and, and, and what John the Baptist called Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so he came and we know that that's the Messiah that came. Now, so that, but the priest, when the Israelite touched maybe a dead body or anything else like that, he, could, he, he became unclean so he couldn't go into the temple or whatever. And so he could go to the priest, he would ply the ashes of the red heifer and he would be, he would be cleansed completely externally. There's a guy by the name of Albert Speer. He was a Nazi industrialist that kept the factories going during World War II. If, if, if Speer had not kept the factories and things going, Hitler, the war would have been over a long time before that. He was the only one who admitted guilt during the Nuremberg trials. And because of that, he spent 20 years in prison. His last book called ABC is what it was called. He was interviewed on Good Morning America, and they asked if there would ever be forgiveness. And he said after 20 years in prison that he had, he said he had done, had, he, he did not think there would ever be forgiveness. In fact, in his book, he wrote, there is no forgiveness for what he had done for 35 years. Now, wouldn't it be awful to live your life in such a way to believe that whatever you've done wrong, that there's absolutely, totally no forgiveness whatsoever? Yet Hebrews 9.14 tells a different story. It tells me simply how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve, to serve the living God. And the Bible also tells me over in the book, over in the book of Colossians, it tells me simply there, that in Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you 
all trespasses. What a difference it is through Jesus. The grace of God that tells us even though where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There's a deep and a glorious forgiveness in the new covenant and it's available for all. Then Hebrews 10.22, it also says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And In the temple they used to sprinkle blood on people to show that they were forgiven. But we know that because of Christ and he, he sat down. Why did, why did Jesus sit down? Because he said it's finished. It's finished. And we've been absolutely, totally forgiven. But notice the first part of this verse. How do, I, how do I have my heart sprinkled with an evil conscience? Jesus does this for us when we come to him. But it says, let us draw near with a true heart. Some say a sincere heart. The nation of Judah, like many, like many individuals, often had come to God with anything but a sincere heart. And when they did this, listen to what God says in Jeremiah 3.10. He says, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. When we come to God, yes, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I thank God for that verse. But by the same token, God looks at our heart. And if we don't come, if we don't come with a, a with a, a humbled heart, if we don't come with, if we come in pretense and and just treat, I've heard people say, well, the grace of God means I can go out and do whatever I want to. No, it doesn't. The Bible says the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. That's what it says. But a day would come when His people would change. Jeremiah twenty four seven. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I may am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and for they shall return to me with their whole heart. He talks about he talks about also in Ezekiel how he's going to take the old stony heart out of a person. This is what happens to you. We get saved. He takes that old stony heart out, and what does he do? He takes it and he puts a new heart in you. A new heart that begins to understand what God's saying. A new heart that that uh, that uh, that understands what the Spirit is trying to say. Paul comes to the last court of judgment. So he's come to the court of public opinion. He's come to the court of, of the conscience. And now he comes to the last court of judgment. And that's in verses 4 and verse 5. He said, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts, then each one praise will come from God. What's he saying? He's saying there's coming a day of judgment. This is what we don't fear. This is what we don't think about. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this is judgment. This is the highest court. This is the supreme court of the universe, for the judge is God the Father. And he will not need witnesses, for he will know. He knows everything. He'll show you a video replay of things if you want him to. Paul says, it is he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul's saying that someday all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What's wrong with America today? We don't fear God anymore. We don't fear judgment anymore. What will be judged there? We'll, we'll, we, we, we will not be judged for our sins, for Christ has paid the price for them. I'm talking about believers 
And as a believer, sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's no longer part of us. Romans 8, 1 says, There's therefore now no more condemnation than Christ Jesus. Our sins are under the blood of Jesus, and God remembers them no more. So what will we be judged on? A believer will be judged on our stewardship. That's what he's been talking about. We judge on all our physical possessions, our bodies, our material resources, our giving, whether or not we griped all the time, whether or not rather than, rather than appreciating the things that God had and being thankful for things, we were always, we were always complaining. He was going to judge us on those things. This is a and, and, and yet... God owns everything you and I have. And this is why in chapter 3 it says that all things are ours. They are. God's fixing to do a sunset out here. You know what that belongs to? That belongs to you. You see sometimes beautiful pictures of mountains and waterfalls and things. Who's that belong to? That belongs to you. You see a little baby smile and things and and things, and who does that belong to? That belongs to you. That's what he's saying. He's saying all those things belong to you. My wife is a whole lot better character than I am. She appreciates those little things, blooming of flowers, those kind of things. He sees those things. I don't see them. You know, I could, yeah, yeah, okay, that's nice. You know, that's about it for me, you know. But she sees those things. She sees the little things. that, And, and I think God's going to reward people for appreciating his his uh, what he's doing. You know, I, I, uh, one of the things that's happening right now, uh, and I listened to um, uh, Metaxas the other night, and he had one of these leading scientists on there, and what he was talking about, he was talking about, you know, how the Big Bang Theory happened and all this other kind of stuff, and he was saying the problem that scientists are having with this is that what they're finding is because of DNA and all the other things and all the little, all the little parts of cells. They, they say there's so many parts of a cell that we haven't even discovered that not only did that, not only we, we've talked about what they've tried to do through science is talk about creation and how things were created, but says what we've discovered now is not only have things been created, but how things are continually evolving. Things are still going on. And said there has to be a, uh, there has to be a creative person behind this, a being behind this. And, and, and one thing he says, he went on to say, he says the problem that scientists have is when they find something that it just blows them away, but it leans towards creation, creationism, they don't want to talk about it. And there's a lot of them that say, well, I can't, I, we won't even go there. But I'm telling you, boy, science is, is really, God's really revealing himself in some of the things that are happening. So, so what will we be judged on? We're going to be judged on physical possessions, our bodies, our material resources. Look, look, at, look at Luke verse 16. The rich man. Now, why did the rich man go to hell? Did he go to hell because he was rich? No, it didn't to do that. Did the poor man go to heaven because he didn't have anything? No, it didn't have anything to do with it. It's what they did with what they had. That guy laid at his gate forever, and he never touched him. He never helped him. He never let him up. And so, you know, and, and so people say, well, I, what are you going to do? And I, I get these people all the time that will say, 
Well, what about these people that have never, uh, never heard of Jesus? You know, that, how, how can God send them to hell if they've never heard about Jesus? Well, let me tell you something. They're not going to hell because of that. God will send them to hell because of the information that they have that they didn't act upon the information. The Bible talks about in Romans how he revealed himself. He's revealed himself to the Jews through what? Through the law. He revealed himself to the Gentiles through their conscience. He revealed himself to the rest of the world, the aborigines and other world, by nature. Now, we believe that Jesus, once you hear about Jesus, you're responsible for, for what Jesus did. But if, if there is, and listen, do you really believe my Father in heaven who loved us, who gave his son to die on Calvary for us, would literally take somebody that didn't know and send them to hell? No way. This is why he says he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's not going to do that. Now, he's gonna, he will hold them in account of what they, what they know, what they don't know, whatever. And so, uh, so anyway, so, uh, you know, but we're in a place where we, we're, we're inundated with the things of Christ. And so we have, to, we have to give. This is a positive statement that God has given you all th- things for your enjoyment. So he warns us not to judge anything before it's time. Now, uh, there's a wonderful statement in verse 5. Look at verse 5. The, the last thing. He says, then each one's praise will come from God. I, I know I, we, as we've studied the beam of seat and other things, I think sometimes we think, well, God's just going to come in. But look what he did. Now, other than Laodicea and the seven churches, but he had some commendation for somebody. And I believe that's what's going to happen. I, I, think, I think the Lord will, will find something in every one of our lives to brag upon, something praiseworthy in every one of our lives. Verse 6, look what it says in verse 6, and I'm about ready to take my seat. It says, For these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. In other words, he's saying, Paulus and I are friends. You all trying to make something out of it, and it's not. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one uh, against the other. Remember the problem in Corinth was divisions. Paul and Apollos were friends. They both belonged to Christ, and Christ belonged to both of them. Verse 7 also says this. It says, who, for, who makes you differ from another? For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you didn't indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What's he saying? They both had gifts, but we, have, we all have gifts, which we do. If we do, we have nothing to boast about because the Lord gave every one of us the gifts that we've got. In verse 8, he goes on, he says, you are already full, you are already rich, you already reigned with kings without us, and indeed could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. How they were a spectacle to us in the world and how we need to be thankful for men like Paul and Paulus and these other men who did what they did in a time of great martyrdom. I tell you, when you go back, I challenge you to go back and get a copy of Martin Luther's uh, uh, Eric Metaxas' book on Martin Luther. And when we talk about great times of history, and you read in that fifth century how Martin Luther stood, and when there were men that were the, that were being taken and tied to a stake and burnt at the stake, that he stood. And if it hadn't been for him, the Protestant Reformation movement wouldn't have happened. But God mightily used him. Uh, you know, uh, so. Uh, 
you know, who did what they did in a time of great martyrdom. And so may we never forget those who have labored before us. And if we are fortunate to lead someone to Christ, may we remember that someone had to sow that seed and someone had to water it and you get to see the reward of the harvest. Man, that's great. I never will forget Bruce Ringer called me one night and he told me, he said, Lee, would you go with me to Lexington? He says, there's a gentleman over here. He's an older man. So he's never given his heart to the Lord and says, I want you to go over and talk to him. So I did, and I go over there, and I go through the whole thing. I do the Roman roads thing. I read all the scriptures, go through everything, and I get to the end, and I look at him, and I say, well, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now? Do you, I, do you understand what I've said? And he said, yeah. I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He said, well, I wonder when he's going to get to that. That's what he said. All I had to do is walk in the door because the work had already been done. All I had to do is walk in the door. I said, would you like to see Jesus? Yep, I want to. So, bam, there it goes. So, so uh, you know, but may we never be discouraged in soul winning because the Bible says that he that winneth souls is wise because maybe the Lord calls us to sow or he calls us to water or someone else bring in the harvest. Now, why would he do that? Because the Bible says over in, uh, over in uh, Colossians chapter 4 that, that the mystery and the heart has to be done. If you go in and you try to force it in when the mystery has not been done, his heart has not been made soft in receiving the things, you're going to make a mess of things. And so learning how to listen to what the Holy Spirit, but, but in that day he will reveal the secrets of the heart and reward those good and faithful servants is what he says. That's chapter 4 of this. So I don't know why you're here tonight for whatever reason. I hope you're here to come to church and things. I know that. But what I'm saying is if you're here and you've got something going on in your life and you want to pray about it, we'll be glad to pray with you tonight. And uh, I'm sure other people will come and, and uh, we can uh, lay hands on you and pray for you. If you want to stand in for somebody or something like that, we can In other words, what I'm asking is this. I mean, is there a point in a time in your life that God on his calendar in heaven can look and see and say, there was a time that I gave my heart to Jesus here, right here, on this date he gave me. And so whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. So I ask you today, whatever it might be, we'll sing a verse of invitation. The people will come right now, and then we'll